Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tick Bootcamp, episode 318 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Healing in Harmony with My July's Michaela Hu. My name is Randy Goodman, a marketing and executive manager and founder of Think Lime. And I'm Richard Johannesson. We are excited to introduce Michaela Hu, co-founder and CEO, along with her mother, Don Hu, of My July, a non-toxic skincare line developed as a solution for Michaela's chronic illness. We are so excited to have Michaela here with us today to hear her story and help so many people in our community from her experience with Lyme. Without further ado, I am really excited to introduce Michaela Hu. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And today I'm really excited to let everyone know that I do not have Matt Sabatello running this podcast with me today, but I have one of my favorite people, Randy Goodman, as my co-host. And we are really excited to introduce to you one of the one of our favorite new people in the in the community, Michaela Hu. So hey, Michaela, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're really happy to have you as well. And Randy's going to start talking to you now a little bit about your background. Thank you, Michaela, so much for joining us today, sharing your journey and inspiring others in their own healing journey. Um, so we're going to get started here. Um, as I said earlier, you know, everyone's story is all too similar with Lyme disease, while their path to recovery is all too unique. Um, I gravitated towards therapeutic forms of self-care in my own healing journey using a guess and check system to find out what worked best for me. Um, that's why I was so excited to host this podcast and meet you to learn more about your healing journey and the creation of My July, which we know you'll take us through in detail. Um, so, Michaela, let's get started. Um, let's begin with your background. Um, where do you live? What do you do? Where did you grow up? And what did your childhood look like? So I live in Los Angeles, but I'm originally from the East Coast. I actually was born in Long Island. So like you, Rich, <laughs> both um, from New York. And uh, I was always a really atypical case as a child. So I am very unique, um, even from my birth story. I was two weeks late. My mother had an emergency C-section. And now that I know like all of my illnesses going back, in my health history, like putting the puzzle pieces together, I realized that everything kind of adds up. So it, early on in my childhood, I would always feel ill and not in the classical sense of getting a flu or a cold or something that's mainstream. No, my body was very atypical in the sense that I would get these random dizzy spells or like ringing in my ears or my skin would flare up. I would get, um, constipation, bloating, like things that you just don't have when you're like three or four years old. And I remember like even as far back as being three and just feeling like my stomach was just cramping up. And when you grow up feeling like that, it's just something that you kind of accept as your normal because you've never experienced anything other than that. So I just accepted it as like, well, I guess that's just like the way my body is. Like it's kind of dysfunctional, but I'm still trucking along. And I guess that's just like how I'm going to have to live. And it's not something that is really like sexy to deal with. So like as a kid, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, oh, I have like really bad gas and like my stomach's cramping up and I'm bloated and I'm constipated. So I never told my parents. I just really... um just kept it in. Of course, with my skin flare-ups, I'd get these rashes all over my body. And that was what we thought was eczema at the time, but it turned out to be something different later on. 
But um, that I couldn't hide from my parents. So my mom would take me to the pediatrician and it's a common story. The pediatrician would say, like, oh, it's eczema. Here's this prescription ointment to use on your skin, but don't use it any more than a week because it'll thin out the layers of your skin, but it'll like put the bandaid over the bullet wound and just um, attack the symptom rather than getting to the root cause. So it was always this like, endless cycle of, okay, well, I used this cream on my body and it worked. And then a few months later, it comes back again, back to the pediatrician. She writes me out another prescription. And then it just turned out to be like, just something that I dealt with again, like just kind of accepting, well, I guess it's my life. And at the time, like we were healthy, but we were not as well educated about Eastern medicine as we are like I am and my family is now so we just kind of took the doctor's assessment at face value and we're like okay well I guess this is like what we have to do so we didn't really question the use of all these different steroid creams that I'd be using Mm so um I was still dealing with the digestive issues in my head I wasn't connecting the dots to like oh maybe the skin is connected to the digestion which is connected to like my random dizzy spells because all my parents knew that I was dealing with was the quote-unquote we thought was eczema so we ended up moving from well I should actually mention we and we moved from Long Island to Connecticut when I was two and I was still dealing with all these issues like nothing changed since then but then when I was 13 my dad got a job opportunity in the San Francisco Bay Area so we all moved to the San Francisco Bay Area and magically my eczema cleared up like it didn't go away completely but I just did a lot better in the dry climate so we all thought like, well, maybe it's climate related because the East Coast is very humid and it seemed like my eczema would act up in the humidity. So like I wasn't going to question it. I sure like not having all these rashes over my body. So I thought, OK, cool. Well, maybe it's just like climate related. And I'm like, that's that chapter of my life is over with. I don't have to deal with that anymore. So but Michaela, I would let's, still let's pause. Let's pause there for a second, because you've unpacked a whole bunch of stuff that we need to develop with you um, that uh, that I think is really important. So let's, let's focus on your time on Long Island first. Right. Yes. So uh, you're a Long Island gal, uh, which I, I didn't know. That's a cool connection that we have. Um, and of course, the, the the two thoughts that were running through my head as you were sharing that part of your experience where you had been ill um, you know, for your entire life is first. Do you believe you were getting bitten by ticks since your early childhood? Or do you believe that you were born with congenital Lyme? Or do you think you it's a combination of the two? That is a question that I will always ask myself. And I do have several theories. So the house that I was conceived in and grew up in had toxic black mold that we did not know about until we sold the house and we did some work on the house. And then we uncovered like all this black mold and water damage. and. I believe that since there's been studies done and mold can be contracted in utero, I contracted mold in utero. And that is why I was two weeks late and I was in emergency C-section and it all kind of like falls into place. Also, um, my entire family is from the East Coast. So there has to be some sort of trace of Lyme in the genealogy somewhere there well that's for so. sure so let, let's 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 talk about the the mold piece of it and then we'll talk about the line piece of it. so 
Um, you know, one of the things that we've learned from our podcast, where we've interviewed several doctors like Dr. Rawls and Dr. Phillips, uh, what they've told us is that very rarely does someone go from tick bite to chronically ill, right? There's generally some window of time where, you know, the, you know, the, the, the body, you know, you're, you're, you become immunosuppressed and then, and then you, and then you get chronically ill. Um, now, the two circumstances that we're told that will result in tick bite to chronic illness are one, if you got bitten by multiple ticks at the same time, or two, if, um, if you are living in a moldy environment, which is causing you to be immunosuppressed, and then you get a tick bite. So yeah, I think if you have a whole bunch of people living on the East Coast and you've lived in the Lyme Belt, you were born in the Lyme Belt, you were conceived in the Lyme Belt, it's very likely that uh, that the you know that your mother and your father and everybody else in your family were bitten by ticks, but it's also likely you were getting bitten by ticks during your childhood, right? And if you're living in this household where there's mold, there's there's a very short uh, very short window between tick bite and getting sick. So give me your thoughts on on how you feel about the role the Lyme and the and the um, and the mold play together and intersected. Uh, resulting in you being sick? Oh, definitely. I think it's a combination of everything. I was playing out in the backyard too. I'm sure that there's instances where I could have gotten bit by a tick multiple times. We had a dog and I know for sure the dog had ticks that my mom would remove. So it's like all these different things, like how many ways could I be bit by a tick? So um, I believe that... Um, what was what was your question? Well, do you do you believe do you believe we're going back to the initial question, which is congenital Lyme, tick bites, congenital Lyme, and tick bites, and then you brought in the additional overlay of mold. Oh, and how they interact. Yes. So um, it goes back to all, all these different chronic illnesses. They all have the same symptoms, and they all overlap. And the symptoms for mold are the same pretty much for the symptoms, Lyme, parasites, like all these different chronic illnesses. And they all interact with each other and they form an army against your body. And before you know it, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. All these different elements compound and they just lead up to one climax. And then you, before you know it, you're chronically ill. So I truly believe it was just a perfect storm in my case all these different elements added up and against me unfortunately which is how i became ill so let's talk about the perfect storm for a minute right because a perfect storm is a compromised immune system right i mean it really is you know dr harwitz talks about the three eyes right he talks about immune dysfunction he talks about inflammation and he talks about infection right and that's really what leads to chronic illness and that's why chronic illnesses all have these sort of same patterns but in your case you became chronically ill because of the Lyme bacteria or a series of, uh, of tick diseases that were all spit into you or were a part of your, you know, your experience through, uh, through birth. So um, talk about, again, give us a little more detail on what your thoughts were on, on, on how these things all came together and then how you started to suffer from the three eyes of immune dysfunction, inflammation, and infection. Yeah. So I can't remember like really far back, but ever since like age three or so, I always had this sense of overwhelming anxiety that was not triggered by anything. I always felt like just heaviness. So I believe that plays into the neurological 
part of Lyme disease. And I just always felt off, special, but not in a way like I was disabled, but I always just felt like I wasn't quote unquote normal with the rest of my peers. Even when I started going to school, I always felt like I was kind of like an out of the box thinker. It was hard for me to um, like learn. I had difficulty following instructions, like very simple instructions. And that to me just kind of, I processed it as I was very creative, which I was, I am very creative. So I thought, well, a lot of very creative people are out of the box thinkers. They don't really conform to the norm. Like that's just me. So again, I'm just kind of feeding myself, myself, these narratives okay this is like the type of person I am and like I'm very creative mildly passionate this is why I have trouble concentrating following instructions so it just kind of um made me believe like this is the type of person who I am and now looking back it's always going to be a question that I wonder like was my personality triggered by my lime and mold or was I always creative and it just amplified it. So it's just something that I'll never know the answer to, but I do think that it's probably a combination where I'm, I've always been creative. My mom is very creative and the line just amplified things. All right. So there's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about before Randy takes you through your journey in San Francisco and that is, um, or California. Was it San Francisco that you moved to? Yeah. The San Francisco area. Let's pause that for another second because another thing that was causing my, you know, my alarms to go off when you were talking about all the rashes that you had and you were going to your pediatrician with the rashes. And of course this is all Long Island where there's a lot of Lyme disease and, you know, and you know, you're, you're exhibiting very classic, you know, symptoms of Lyme and what your what your uh, pediatrician is doing is your pediatrician is giving you um, giving you creams that were likely to be immunosuppressive, right? Because they were they had steroids, and we know that steroids are immunosuppressive. And the more you're taking these steroids, the more immune um, you know suppression there is, and the more the you know the bacteria and viruses and protozoa that were spit into you can take off. Um, talk to us about what role you think uh, medical incompetence played in um in you getting as sick as you did while you were living on long island and then i guess in connecticut yeah oh my goodness <laughs> no doctor ever suggested lime uh, i don't know if it was because it was not as well aware at that time which is kind of ironic because it was a very lime heavy territory so you would think more doctors would be aware of the disease um it was this is like over 20 years ago. So maybe it, it was just like a function of the time. Funny enough, my family wasn't that well aware of Lyme disease. Of course, we knew it was a huge issue, but we just thought like, oh, if you get like, um, you have a tick on you, you just pull it off and like, oh, that's it. Like it's, it wasn't as dangerous or we're like, we weren't as schooled um, in the danger of like, oh no, this is a real issue this can have like traumatic effects if you don't properly treat it so uh, it was um, so Michaela, I think just, I, I'm kind of blown away by that because you know you you grew up in what we call the Lyme Belt right yeah. and and the Lyme Belt is that whole region around the Long Island Sound which is Long Island and Connecticut right that's yeah. where everything got started 
in the seventies, right? I mean, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the modern, uh, you know, the modern chronic version of Lyme disease got started out here, um, you know, in the seventies, right? Uh, when, when I was young, long before you were born, right? When your parents were young, right? And, uh, you know, and, and, and we were dealing with ticks and tick diseases and Lyme disease, certainly since the early 80s. So it's not like you were, you know, you know, when you say 20 years ago, you're only 28, that, you know, we were not Lyme aware here. And we, you know, it was, it, it's been a huge problem here on the East Coast, and, and certainly in the, in the two states that you were living in. Um, did you receive any, you know, even though your parents weren't uh, aware of this, so you didn't receive any any um, cultural support to protect you from Lyme disease. What about educational support? Were you learning about Lyme disease in your health classes in either, either New York when you were living on Long Island or, or in Connecticut when you were living there? No, surprisingly, no, which blows my mind. I went to a private school for the first four years, um, fourth through first through fourth grade in Connecticut. And it was a school, like a cute little school in the woods, which it was adorable. But now looking back, I'm like, during recess, be climbing trees, building forts, jumping in leaves, everything that um, where ticks lie. And we were not educated at all. During science class, our science teacher would bring us out to um, the property, which was so wooded, and we'd go foraging, like finding different sticks and leaves and different things, which was very hands-on, very educational and good kinesthetically for that learning but we were not um, taught at all about Lyme disease. All right, so talk about now uh, your time in San Francisco. And Randy's gonna to talk to you a little bit more now about that part of your journey. Yes, um, so since you were a child, you remember always feeling off. You had gastro symptoms. Um, you felt sometimes you were nodding your head. You felt different. Um, and all these symptoms, you kept to yourself, which most children do with Lyme. And that's why diagnosis of children is so difficult and so troubling. Um, so now you move to San Francisco. Um, so tell us about that journey. Um, did your symptoms exacerbate in different ways? We know your eczema um, got better um, and you attribute that to climate, but tell us about your other symptoms because you talk about this perfect storm and I, I wanna understand um, what was the climax to that perfect storm? Yeah, so I still had my GI symptoms and those I just kept hidden well. I would pull all these different gymnastics of like if I was bloated, I'd like wear different clothes to hide it. I knew like different things would irritate my stomach more than others. And I just kind of pulled all these different calculations in my head that I would like, if I had to go somewhere, okay, like I'm going to eat this at this time. And then like, it'll give me enough time to digest so that I won't like be super bloated and I won't like feel uncomfortable. And all this was going on in my head. And then, so this is, I moved at age 13. So then this is probably from 13 through 18. And in my late teens, it just got a lot worse. It was not getting better at all everything started to bother me, like every single food under the sun. So. And at that point, did you start to vocalize these symptoms and what? You yes. Were yeah. That's when I started to tell my parents, like, there's something going on that's very wrong with my body. Like my body can't even digest tea. Like I would have a cup of tea and be in extreme pain. Water, everything that I digested was just not 
um, going down well for me. I would have stomach aches pretty much constantly. So it's at that time that my mom took me to a nutritionist and she did a skin patch test on me or skin prick test on me rather. And she tested me for over 70 foods. And when we got the results back, we saw that I was positive for like over 70% of the food on the list. And the results were very hard to read. It was very arbitrary. I was positive for things like string string beans, Brazil nuts, um, tomatoes, chicken, rice, of course, like gluten, dairy, soy, all of the common allergens, but then also some weird stragglers like um, apples and cherries and black pepper, cinnamon, chocolate. So we looked at this list and we were like, wow, am I truly allergic to all of these? Like, what can I eat? So the nutritionist said, like, don't worry. These results look kind of alarming, but in cases like this, she said that it's probably leaky gut and she called it idiopathic leaky gut. We don't know what caused it, but something happened and that it triggered some sort of immune response in your body and that it caused the gut permeability and you have leaky gut. So just eliminate the foods that you tested positive for for a month. And the beauty of the body is it can repair itself and you'll probably be safely able to eat these foods after a month. And the foods that you can't tolerate, maybe it's a true allergy. We'll we'll have to see. So I detoxed from all the foods that I tested positive for, for one month, and then um, started um, putting them back into my diet. And it just did not work out. I got extreme rashes. I got extreme bloating, like worse than ever before. So I went to see my nutritionist again. And she said, well, you know what? It's been almost 20 years of this. So it's not going to happen overnight. Even a month of a detox may not be enough. So we tried for three months and then I tried putting the foods back into my diet again. And it just, again, my body reacted so negatively to it. So it was this constant cycle again with my nutritionist. And after a year and a half of it, I just could never integrate the foods back into my diet successfully. That's a long list. Yeah. And I was on such a limited diet. I was eating mainly bananas and um, orange juice. And um, what else was I having? I would have um, coconut yogurt. And like, that was pretty much it. Like everything else, occasionally I could have berries, but then it just got to a point where I was just so sick of not feeling well that I was like, you know what, just, I will be on the super strict limited diet as long as I won't have these symptoms that I'm experiencing eating other foods. And to add to that, like even the foods that I did eat, like the bananas, the coconut um, yogurt and the orange juice, they would irritate me, but it wouldn't irritate me as much as other foods. So I just learned to live with like this constant dull stomach ache, but it wasn't as acute as what would happen if I would eat other things. And th- I mean, this is at a time where it's um, a crucial pubertal development. Um, so how did this impact your ability to thrive as a teenager, weight gain, height gain, um, socially? So at the time I was um, 19. So pretty much like I was at um, 
the weight and the height that I would probably be for the rest of my adult life. And I just carried on with my life. I'm a very all or nothing person. So I was like, this is not going to get in the way of my workouts. I actually um, ran a lot during high school. I ran cross country. So I just continued that like long distance running. I ran a lot of half marathons. I did weight training. I do cycling. I would do um, swimming. I yoga. I just in retrospect, it was probably a lot of stress on my cells and it would probably did more harm than good. But I was just like, I'm just going to keep living my life. Like I'll just keep doing this. And I was burning myself out and not realizing it. But um, it got to a point with my nutritionist that at the end of the year and a half, we both kind of came to this conclusion, like, who are we kidding? Like, she couldn't help me I didn't know what was going on. So she said, you know what, maybe you should see some specialists at Stanford or like UCSF. I can give you referrals to those places because they have different um, testing. They are um, what do you call research centers. So maybe they can help you out. So she sent us to Stanford. So my mom and I went to Stanford and they did a bunch of testing on me. They did something called a gastric emptying study, which tests how um, fast your digestion is. So they, it's a very long test. You go there in the morning, they feed you this breakfast that's laced with radioactive dye. And then they take MRIs of your digestion every hour for eight hours. And what it measures is like where the food is in your digestion. So my main complaints were I have this chronic bloating, like everything I eat bloats me and I have such a sluggish digestion. I don't know what's going on. So essentially like the test came back and it said that um, after eight hours, the food was still 50% digested. So my digestion was like worse than 50% of what a normal person's was, which essentially, again, is not getting to the root cause. It's another symptom. Like there's just confirmed. Yes, I get bloated. Like, yeah. I mean, what's the answer? I, it just confirmed that my digestion's terrible, which is what I came in complaining about. So their solution was, well, it's a gut motility issue. So we can give you these pills that will help speed up your pacemaker cells but I'm just, it just didn't sit well with me. Like I, I have a very strong intuition. And again, I thought to myself, well, this is still treating a symptom. Like what's the root cause? Why are my pacemaker cells so slow? Why is my digestion so slow? I didn't like the thought of taking something that would force my body to operate at a normal level. And my mom is the same way. So we just didn't feel like that was the answer. So again, it was just coming out of a doctor's appointment with more questions than, questions than answers. So I got online and I did a lot of research because I am the research queen and I just love to do research and go through blogs and books and just really absorb different um, things about health and wellness and just try to figure out what in the world is going on because there's something that is very wrong with me and I don't know what it is. So I stumbled upon a few Facebook support groups and they were geared towards chronic illness, not Lyme disease per se, 
but um, just fibromyalgia, MS. And I got on those groups and I said, hey, these are my symptoms. It seems like it's very much so something within this category of illness. I don't know what's going on. Like my doctors just keep addressing symptoms, not root causes. I um, have seen countless doctors and no one knows what's going on with me. So a lot of the people in those groups chimed in and they said they my that my symptoms sound very limey and I might consider getting tested for Lyme disease. So I was still in San Francisco at the time. I was going to school online, college, and as a graduation present, my dad um, said, let's go on a road trip to LA because there was this Lyme doctor that I researched, Dr. Erica Lehman, who I found out through a blogger, Jordan from The Balanced Blonde, who also has Lyme disease. I followed her journey and she had very similar symptoms to me. She had a lot of gastro intestinal issues. She had like the skin flare ups. And I thought, well, with if this doctor diagnosed her with Lyme disease and she has very similar symptoms to me, then this doctor can probably help me. So it was kind of an odd graduation gift for graduating from college to get um, a doctor's visit gifted to you. But Lyme doctors are not cheap. So it was something that was very needed. And I got um, gifted, to, my dad gifted me the Lyme test that I we got the IGNX test and everything else, the mold and the full panel of um, parasites and everything. So that was how I got gift. diagnosed with Lyme. And the best gift you could have ever received. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like such an odd gift, but it was something that is was truly needed and pretty much saved my life because I don't know where I would be if I was still undiagnosed. So, Michaela, before Randy takes you through your treatment journey, there are a couple of things that you talked about um, that, I, that I'd like to highlight uh, for our listeners. Um, first thing I'd like to talk to you about is exercise and the exercise that you were doing. And one of, one of the things we learned from the Lyme pioneer, Dr. Joseph Biroscano, was that people who do not move do not heal. Movement has to be a part of your healing journey. However, if we are not using the same, the right type of movement, uh, then we are not going to heal, right? The, the, there are some exercises that will be immunosuppressive. And one of the things that he argued was that cardiovascular exercise will reduce your T cell count. If you're, if you're running too much and you're, and you're engaging in maybe extreme exercise, like being a cross country athlete. So, um, give me your thoughts about what impact this, this, um, this uh, cross-country act, uh, activity had on, again, looking back on your immune dysfunction? I always loved the idea of exercise. I'm someone who is really into wellness and health, and I have a very obsessive personality too. So it's, well, again, going back to the perfect storm, I would exercise a lot and I would just tell myself, well, this is really healthy for me. Even though I'm super tired today, today is a long run day. So I'm going to go on a long run, even though I feel like death and I just want to crawl back into bed, I have to put in the miles. So it's something that actually has taught me um, learning the hard way to be super gentle on myself, because I think just, again, all of that compounded into being really detrimental to my health. No, Mikhail, that's another educational issue, right? I mean, one of the things that we're, we're taught in our health classes and in our, our phys ed classes 
is that exercise is a good thing. But, you know, they never really teach us about the inverted U where, you know, not enough, you know, you, you start to gain, you know, as you're doing more and more exercise and then it sort of plateaus where we're not really benefiting or we're being hurt. And then we sort of go go down and we start to hurt ourselves when we're engaging in exercises that are, that are too extreme, right? We just don't know that. It's, it's one of the flaws in our educational system. So you're, you're, you're failed by the medical system when you're here on Long Island in Connecticut. You're failed by the educational system because you're not taught about ticks and tick diseases. And you're certainly not given the basic health information you'd need to use exercise so that it would support your immune system rather than damage your immune system. So let, let's let's talk about another thing that you that you raised, which I thought was really fascinating. You talked about having a strong intuition, right? And here on, on Tick Boot Camp, we like to talk about the onboard diagnostic system, where we actually have this great system built in us to tell us when we're not feeling well and tell us when we are feeling well. And if we sort of follow that gut feeling, as we sometimes call it, or that onboard um, diagnostic system, we generally get good results. But because we're gaslit so often by people in our lives, by doctors, by people telling us that it's in our head, um, you know, we, we ignore that intuition. And in many cases, we even lose the ability to read our emotions or read our signals anymore. Was, was, uh, was gaslighting a part of your journey or were you always able to be in tune with your body and always able to listen to what your body was telling you while you're on this phase of your journey? A little bit of both. I would go back and forth. Um, I knew, I think I always intuitively knew there was something that was very wrong with me, but then I'd have little episodes of like, well, maybe it actually is all in my head. For instance, the nutritionist who I saw that first one that I saw who sent me to Stanford said on our last visit that she said, I'm going to send you to Stanford, but also just do know that I do have patients that only eat like three things. And as long as they can survive and keep on trucking, well, like that might just be the answer with you. Like you, your digestion obviously isn't functioning normally. So maybe that's just what you're going to have to deal with. So then I took that. And although it didn't sit well with me, I thought, well, maybe this is just something I am going to have to deal with. So I'd go back and forth and I'd think, well, maybe I just have to accept this. But then I also think, no, that's not right. That is not right at all. Like that is no way to live. I am not even 20 yet. And I can't imagine living the rest of my life like this. This isn't right. So it was just a constant battle in my head. And I think deep down inside, I knew that it wasn't right, even though I would have like little episodes of me thinking, well, maybe the doctors are right. So that was something. I, I know I know from from the information that we that we studied about you uh, prior to the podcast that you saw in the neighborhood of a dozen doctors between the time that you first got sick and the time that you were finally diagnosed through this wonderful graduation present that you got. And I'm glad you and Randy think that was such a great present. I was just like really so sad for you that you're uh, surprise you get to go to a doctor you know I mean it's just just how crazy this Lyme world is but you but you did treat with over a dozen doctors before you finally got to Dr. Lehman and and, and you found somebody who could competently diagnose you um, talk to us about what that journey was like with all these different doctors and did any of them ever ask you how you were feeling did any of them ask you about your onboard diagnostic system and, and, and what your body was telling you. Yeah. So I gave you kind of the condensed version because if I gave you the full version, we'd be on here for five hours, but yes, I did see 
probably over a dozen doctors in the interim of being um, a patient at Stanford and also seeing the nutritionist. In that time, I also saw a rheumatologist, a cardiologist, um, endocrinologist, a GI specialist, a nutritionist, an allergist, and the list goes on. And they all had their own assessment of me and it all didn't match up. So the rheumatologist said, well, maybe you have lupus or you might have Sjogren. So I got tested for that. And I tested positive for some of the antibodies, but not everything. So then she said, well, mm, probably not. And then the GI is the one who did the gastric emptying study on me. And then his final assessment was, well, you have gastroparesis, which means that I have a partially paralyzed gut. And then his solution was here, have these pills that'll force your body to work. So that just didn't sit right with me. Um, of course, the endocrinologist, all they wanted to do was prescribe me birth control, which again, is not getting to the root cause of the problem. And I also, oh, I also saw Ayurvedic doctors because in that time I was trying to pursue something more holistic too. I was also seeing an acupuncturist and they all had my best interest in mind, but they just were not trained in the specific symptoms that I was experiencing. They just, they did not know how to treat it. The Ayurvedic doctors pretty much told me you have to limit your stress. You have to really learn how to relax, maybe come in for some panchakarma treatments, which is like their version of a um, detox week where you go in and they treat you with different herbal medications and um, massages. And like they, it's just a full program of just learning to decompress. And like, that sounds all fine and well, but again, I just didn't think that that's going to be like the miracle, like I'm completely healed just after that week. And the acupuncturist pretty much just treated all of my symptoms. I had excruciating joint pain, so she would help with that. But aside from that, she didn't really offer much advice as to what was going on, she would just pretty much just stick the needles in the places where I said I was experiencing pain. And that was it. So and how many years did this go on for these 12 doctors? This was about 10 years. So I started my journey when I was 18. And I got diagnosed when I was 26, almost 27. So it was quite a journey. So when the medical, the conventional medical system failed you, you basically took things into your own hands to make a plan for yourself. Mm -hmm. So now tell us, you get those IGNX test results. Um, tell us about your first course of treatment um, and where you are today. So it was the longest wait time to get results back for IGNX because it takes a month. And I intuitively knew that I had Lyme disease. I was like, I, I truly believe yeah. this is the answer. I just needed to get those results to confirm all of my suspicions. And then once I got those results, instead of feeling bad that like, oh, I have Lyme disease, I actually felt a sense of relief. I was like, finally, I have a solid diagnosis and I have a doctor who knows how to treat this. I feel like I'm swimming to an island instead of just treading water aimlessly, like not knowing what to do, what's going on who to seek out help from. So um, the first round of treatment, actually, like it was kind of, it, it went well, I felt better, but then I plateaued again, just like the first few months, I didn't experience 
any extreme Herxheimer reactions, which was kind of odd. But I think it was because I was living in the Bay Area at the time still, and I was seeing Dr. Lehman in LA. So I was just visiting her for the first time I visited her in person, but then the follow-up appointments were just um, via Zoom. And I had a feeling that the environment I was in, because the Bay Area is very damp, very misty and foggy, was being counterproductive to what I was doing in treatment. So I was like feeling a little better, but then not completely. So I ended up moving to LA a year and a half ago. And it's kind of a funny story in that the whole COVID thing and working from home, because I still live with my parents just for financial reasons, actually worked in our favor because my dad got to work from home. And then after a while, we were like, what are we doing in the Bay Area if you can work from home? And if you can work from anywhere you have Wi-Fi, what do they care that you're in LA versus you're in San Francisco as long as we're not like in a different time zone? So we ended up moving to LA because we thought that it would just be so much better for my health. And at that time, I was seeing Dr. Lehman um, a few times in person, and then we would do some Zoom calls, and it was just a little back and forth. And then also the business, which we will go into later on. Um, my mom and I have a clean skincare company, and our biggest market is LA. So it wasn't a hard sell for me to move to LA because I really love the hot, dry climate. I love the palm trees and just like the whole scene of sunny weather. So um, that's how I ended up in LA. Amazing. So tell us a little more about the protocol. So my um, doctor is a really good Lyme doctor. She is extremely good with balancing out uh, the supplements with the medications and using them both in a very balanced way. And that I know, even though I'm very into holistic healing. Sometimes you just have to have antibiotics in order to kill something as strong as Lyme, if that's what you're dealing with. So I was on a very intense protocol. I still am. And we are actually pairing back on my antibiotics as I am longer in my healing journey. And I seem to be surviving pretty well on just supplements and I can pair back on the different medications that I'm taking. But at first I was taking some really hardcore medications and just for insurance purposes, I'd have to see my PCP every once in a while. And he'd look at the different medications I was on and he'd ask me, he's like, you do realize these are like some hardcore medications. This can like really mess up your gut. And of course, like they, they don't understand. He's like, why are you on a malaria medication. And um, it was just, it was kind of funny that like from his perspective, he's like, wow, you're really damaging your gut with all of this stuff. But I understood that it was necessary to go through this path in order to kill all the bacteria and move forward. Great, Michaela. Um, so now you, you're in the midst of a protocol. Um, you have things that are working, um, that are working better than others. Um, you're starting to get a grasp on that. Um, so it's a pivotal time in your life. Tell us about the development of the business that you and your mom have successfully created, My July. So the business was born in the San Francisco Bay Area when we were living there. 
And it was when I was in college. Um, this is going back a few years now. We're kind of like skipping all over the place, but filling in some of the gaps. Um, when I was dealing with my digestive issues still during that time when I was seeing the nutritionist, um, my skin started to flare up again. So I was like, wow, this is great. Not only do I have extreme digestive issues, but now my eczema is back. So it got to a point where the rashes on my hands got so inflamed and actually um, caused me to lose mobility in my fingers. So it was also, I think, a function of the fact that I refused to see a dermatologist because what are they going to do but prescribe me a cream that was not going to work long term. So I was determined to just ride out the storm, even though I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that that wasn't the answer. And my um, hands just got so swollen because they were so inflamed. Something was going on that was terribly wrong. My dad actually told me that it was as if there was some sort of monster trying to come out of me through my hands because my skin just really looked like reptile skin. It was just so flaky and inflamed, swollen, red and patchy. And, you know, in retrospect, he wasn't too far off that there was something inside of me that was coming out um, because no matter how much different creams, even natural stuff I put on my hands, it didn't seem like it was doing anything. So at that time, my mom took it upon herself to do some research. We both love to do our research. So she looked through all these different blogs and she got all these different books about like essential oils and different topical treatments for um, the skin and how you can really use elements of nature to heal your body topically. So she started experimenting in the kitchen, making different concoctions for me. We started out with body butters because my skin has always been very dry. So we thought something like very thick and dense would be really healing for me to use. And I tried them out and we found something that worked for me. And I won't go and say like, oh, this was the miracle bomb that helped fix everything because I had so many underlying issues. I also had to like help heal my diet. And it was the medications from the Lyme doctor and also acupuncture and everything else that I'm doing in my healing journey that all work together to help heal my skin. But it was a great element to um, add to my toolkit that really helped expedite the healing of my rashes, which were actually, now that we know I have the co-infection Babesia of Lyme disease, it attacks the skin. And what we thought was eczema back in the day from the pediatrician who diagnosed me was actually my Babesia that was flaring up. So, Michaela, let me let me ask you a couple of questions we like to explore with guests on this uh, podcast. When you were going through your treatment with Dr. Lehman, was there a step-by-step approach that she had taken? Because one of the things that we've observed from the standpoint of pattern is that when people successfully go on a um, healing journey, they generally have a period where they do what we call prehabilitation, where you're you're getting yourself ready for the battle. You're opening up your drainage pathways and you're working on your mindset and you're dealing with some of the issues that might have you in fight or flight and prevent you from you know, prevent you from being in the parasympathetic nervous um, uh, arena so that you can heal. 
Then we have, then we, then we generally see a second step. We call that the assist, where you're assisting your body kill these microbes uh, and 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 helping your immune system go through the battle. We don't call that kill anymore because it really is a process of assisting your immune system. Then we see a third step. And the third step that we generally see is a rehabilitation phase, right? Where you're going through this process of rehabilitating your body and rehabilitating your mind because you've just been through this really horrific battle. And now you're now you really have to, you know, help yourself deal with that trauma. And then of course we have this maintenance phase. So when you were working with Dr. Lehman, did she have first a prehabilitation process where she, where she encouraged you to take certain steps to open up your drainage pathways and get yourself ready for this battle, both physically and emotionally. Oh, yes, for sure. I was doing all the things. It was like a full-time job. I was going to the acupuncturist several times a week. I was going to an infrared sauna several times a week, just making sure that I really was opening up my detox pathways through sweating. I was, um, what else was I doing? I, oh, detox baths. Um, that was huge every single day, Epsom salt and baking soda baths. Um, I got myself a little infrared sauna blanket. So I'd lie in there when I couldn't make it to the sauna and um, just making sure I was drinking a lot of water, um, having regular bowel movements and uh, urinating regularly, just making sure that my body was prepared for the heavy detox to come. So that was a huge element of like the the pre um, rehabilitation phase. Yeah. So, the, so now talk to us about mindset and whether you're doing any mindset work then, because, you know, we, as you know, we've looked very closely at your Instagram. Your Instagram is awesome, by the way. It's really, really well done. Um, and I saw from your Instagram that you were doing some research, at least you had Gupta's book up uh, as one of the, one of the panels. Uh, when you were through the prehabilitation phase, um, were you, were you doing any work on mindset? And, um, and if you were, what were you doing? Yes, I have always been a very introspective person. I've always been very quiet and just really sensitive. And I've always been really in tune with my emotions. It goes back to I have a very strong intuition. I really, especially being chronically ill my entire life, I really learned to tune into my body and how it speaks through symptoms. So I truly believe that your emotions have so much power and your thinking has so much power. That's really where the healing journey begins and ends. Like if you don't think that you can heal, then you can't heal. So there was this quote that I hope I don't butcher that I saw on Instagram the other day that was whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And I was like, that's so true. Like we determine our final outcome, like our um, thoughts have so much power to what um, the final outcome of whatever trial or like phase in our life or anything that we're going through. And I think that that is an element that often gets overlooked in the healing process, because if your mind's not into it, you can only heal to a certain point, but then you're never going to fully recover. So I, even over the past few years, I've gotten a lot more in tune with my emotions than I was even before. And I do have the Gupta program that I'm working through too, because I do fully believe that being chronically ill my entire life, all these different events that I've experienced and even just holding in the symptoms that I had experienced um, as a young child 
hold so much trauma that I have to unblock and I'm still working through it now. So, so let's is- talk about that a little bit more, Michaela. So obviously you, you were sick for your entire life and that was traumatic, right? You were, you were being failed by doctors regularly. You're being failed by the educational system. In fact, um, your life was so miserable. You thought you were getting a great present when for your graduation, you were going to see a Lyme doctor, right? And it, it was even, it's even so much more miserable that you were happy to get a diagnosis of Lyme disease, right? I mean, that's really where your life was, right? So all that trauma, of course, is going to have an impact on whether or not your mindset is going to be in fight or flight or rest and digest, right? And we know that we're in fight or flight, our immune system is not going to be working, right? We have to get into that rest and digest. So were you doing that work at the pre prehabilitation phase, meaning the, the, the process of getting ready to go into the fight? And if you were, were you using Gupta? Were you using something else? I mean, what were you doing back at that phase, the, the pre-killing phase, to get yourself in a uh, an emotional state where your body could heal in addition to what you've already said which is you had to believe you could heal uh what did you do to now calm down your 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 um your fight or flight response i actually didn't do i think enough work on my emotional state when i was first detoxing i always thought that i was mindful i kept a journal and I tried to practice mindfulness. I've always been an optimistic person, but I didn't really understand how deep that the trauma is held in my body, like my subconscious, until I started doing more research on brain retraining and the limbic system and neuroplasticity. And then I realized, wow, this is a whole other beast that I didn't even address at the time. So now I'm working through that. All right. So, so you, you, at the prehab phase, you recognize that belief was important, right? And you, you just use that, that famous um, uh, Henry Ford quote, those who believe uh, they can do something and those who believe they can't do something are both correct, right? That's the famous Henry Ford quote. Um, and, um, and you, you now, you were now in this position where you believed, right? You believed you could heal. So you had at least that piece behind you, but of course your body wasn't necessarily cooperating with you because your mind wasn't allowing your body to cooperate. You now go into the phase where you're now taking all these medications. I talked to us about all the medications you were taking that your primary care physician was kind of anxious about Um, specifically, what is it that you were taking and what impact were the medications having on you physically and emotionally? So I was on Rifampin, LDN, uh, Malarone, Valtrex, um, Albendazole, um, Alinea. I'm probably leaving a lot out that I can't remember, but the typical that um, most Lyme patients get um, prescribed when they're healing. I also had parasites, so that's why I had the um, parasite medications and I had mold. So it was a whole host of different illnesses, not just Lyme and co-infections I was dealing with. So Michael, so. Were, you, were you dealing with the mold issue before you started to go through the phase where you were taking all of the antibiotics or were you, were, were you treating the mold at the same time that you were treating all of the other microbes that were in your system? At the same time, when I was diagnosed with Lyme from Dr. Lehman, she also diagnosed me with mold and parasites because she was the first doctor to run any of those panels on me. So we were just um, targeting mo- like everything at once until we realized that my 
parasite overpopulation was pretty intense. So we started more, more so focusing on the parasites. It was just, I had so many things going on. It was just kind of a matter of figuring out like which to target first. So um, since the parasites were a main issue of mine, we started heavily leaning into, okay, let's look at some antiparasitic herbs and you can take the um, antiparasitic medications. And I had very severe Herxheimer reactions from those, which I mean, is a good thing because I knew that it was working. But I um, Herxed from those medications, the albendazole, the ivermectin, I didn't mention I had ivermectin before, that was something else that I was taking for about three weeks. And then after that, I started feeling a lot better. And Mm -hmm. That. So talk to us about how you dealt with your herxing, right? Because one of the things that we're always anxious about on this podcast is, is that a lot of people who are from the suck it up culture just think that herxes are wonderful and they fight through them. And we've had a couple of people on this podcast actually get very, very sick, actually sicker from the herxing. And, and, and a couple of people um, became wheelchair bound because they went at it too hard. So how did you manage the balance between the Herx being a good thing because you know that it's working, but not not trying to kill too much so that you would ultimately become too sick? I started out very slowly because I know I'm someone who's very sensitive and I react to everything. So I took about a fourth of the dose that was recommended because I didn't want to experience something very severe. And even then I still hurt. So I was like, I can't imagine if I actually took the full dose, how I would feel. So my herxing, when I say severe, I don't mean that I was like wheelchair bound or anything as extreme as that. I just experienced all my symptoms on an amplified level. Like my bloating would be next level. I'd feel absolutely terrible. Like I'd need to lie down, nausea, um, like crazy, um, headaches, So just like very, just feeling very ill and flu-like, nothing that would send me to the emergency room. So it was just a matter of starting out with a very, very small dosage. Even I would question like, oh, is this even going to do anything? And then like, sure enough, I'd feel like pretty terrible after. So I'm like, just happy that I um, listened to my intuition and just went very slowly. So I think it was because I went so slowly that it wasn't so extreme and that I was able to recover from those reactions. So talk to me about how you made the decision to go slowly and how did you work that out with Dr. Lehman, right? Dr. Lehman is giving you a particular dose. You're following your intuition or your gut and your gut Mm -hmm. is telling you, hey, this is going to be too much for me. I'm going to walk it back and I'm going to do 25% of what I'm being prescribed. So how did you work that out with Dr. Lehman? Dr. Lehman told me that I didn't have to take the full dose. She said, that I could just do as little as I wanted to and just see how it goes. Like nothing bad is going to happen if I take such a little dose that it doesn't do anything. I've been sick for 26 years of my life. Like I can live another few days of taking a medication and it doesn't help, you know, propel me forward in my healing journey. So I thought that like I could always increase, but if I take too much, I certainly didn't want to experience a very severe reaction. So that's why I started out so slow. So you knew your body. Dr. Lehman was encouraging you to listen to your body. And because you knew your body and you had this, this strong intuition and you had a doctor who was encouraging you to follow your intuition and follow your body signals, that's what you did. And that allowed you to get through this uh, first, this, this phase where you were killing the, 
parasites with, with the ivermectin, and then you were going to other things. So now what were you doing? What were you doing to treat the mold? So for the mold, um, I haven't really targeted that yet, actually, because okay. I'm still working through the parasites. And that's something that I am um, going back and forth with Dr. Lehman on right now, currently, because I am still very heavily detoxing from parasites. And she actually wants me to see another Lyme literate GI just to get another opinion on why after over a year, I am still very much so deep in the parasite detox. Because you know, the parasites that you're dealing with, has Dr. Lehman indicated that you have uh, just gut parasites or do you have parasites in your bloodstream or, and do you also have parasites in your, uh, in your central nervous system? Where, where, where are the parasites that you've identified that you're treating with Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Lehman or all the above? I think they're all the above. But um, it's very hard to tell because parasite testing is highly inaccurate. And I've been tested multiple times. Sometimes, surprisingly, it comes back negative, which is surprising to me because I put, this is TMI, but I guess what's TMI on this podcast? I put visible worms in the samples to send out and it still comes back negative. So who's to say? But um, the I think the main parasites lie in my gut, which is why I experienced so much um, GI symptoms and my GI symptoms have gone down significantly. So uh, the treatment definitely is working. We just have to figure out why I'm still so deep in the detox. Okay. So now, uh, so you, you, you've not yet begun to attack the mold. You've dealt with the GI and your, and, and the other parasites. You're working on that. Now talk to us about, uh, about the, uh, the antibiotics and did you take antibiotics, uh, orally? Did you take uh, take it by uh, by by injection by by IV uh, or a combination of all of the above? A combination of both. I went in for some IV treatments. Ideally, I would get more, but they are pretty expensive, and I was on a budget, so I took them orally mainly. And the main issue is it would just be a longer healing time as opposed to if I did IV antibiotics, like once or twice a week, it would just speed up the healing. But since I was on a budget, I thought, well, as long as I'm moving in the right direction, I can handle it. If it's going to be a longer healing journey than doing the expedited process of getting the IVs, but I've done both. Okay. Now you also indicated that you, you were also uh, taking uh, herbal therapies uh, with uh, herbal treatments. Were you taking any herbals to assist your body in killing the bacteria, the viruses, or the uh, parasites? And if you were, what, uh, what herbs were you taking? Yes. I'm taking a lot of herbs that are anti-parasitic. For instance, oregano, garlic, clove bud, wormwood, Japanese knotweed, cat claw. Um, and also I'm doing celery juice, which is just good for everything. Just like a good liver detox. I'm doing, um, coffee enemas daily for the glutathione and I'm probably leaving out some herbs, but off the top of my head, those are the main ones that I'm taking. Okay. Are you, are you taking any immune modulating herbs? Uh, what, what exactly? Are you taking any herbs that, 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 that are, are, are designed to modulate your immune system, or are you just taking herbs that are designed to assist your body in killing the various microbes in, in your body? Oh, okay. So I am taking milk um, thistle seed 
I'm taking dandelion root. Um, what else is there? That is um, glutathione. And that, I believe, is it. Okay. Now, are you taking any herbs that are assisting you with your mindset? Um, anything to balance out your HPA axis and any, or anything to help you to stay, uh, stay out of the fight or flight or be triggered into the fight or flight um, mode? I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're referring to, but I'll have different herbal teas like chamomile. I'll do things like um, put lavender in a diffuser and diffuse that in my bath. Uh, just different um, relaxation healing modalities. So um, that's what I do as well as like mindfulness, um, listening to sound frequencies because I've gotten into sound healing now and how that helps calm the mind and nervous system. So I appreciate you sharing with us that you are dealing with a budget because everybody, everyone is dealing with a budget. And one of the, one of the things that is sometimes triggering with this podcast is that people will say, hey, I don't have the resources that Michaela has. Her family has the resources to bring her to one of the top Lyme doctors, to take some of the best Lyme tests, to use some of the best treatments. So what are some of the low or no cost tools that you've used that you would recommend other people who are on the healing journey? You are speaking my language because <laughs> I am a girl on a budget and I love to finesse my way into however I can hack different solutions that work and that are very cost effective. So I've found that supplements like what I mentioned, the garlic, the oregano, clove bud, um, milk thistle seed, dandelion root, those are all fairly inexpensive. So those are great. Um, and where would you get, where would you get these different uh, herbal supplements that you're using? You can get them at your local health food store or Amazon has a whole wide variety. I know some people don't like to support Amazon. So if you're one of those people, you can get them at a local health food store would have it. So also um, detox baths, extremely cheap. You just have Epsom salt, baking soda. It's a great way. Coffee enemas have been like probably my top three in healing. I absolutely love doing them. And the coffee is fairly inexpensive. All the gear is inexpensive. It's just a bit of a time commitment, but if you're up for it, that's another cost-effective way. So let's talk about that. So, uh, because as you shared there, there's no, uh, there's no moment where you're sharing too much information on this podcast. Uh, but for those folks who have not used coffee enemas or the people who are newer to this community and, 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 and haven't considered coffee enemas, uh, talk to us about why you, why you decided to use coffee enemas and how they have positively impacted you and what the process was for you getting the materials that you needed to do a coffee enema, which you're arguing is a very low cost, um, I'm assuming detox option. Yeah. So coffee enemas are extremely healing to the liver the purpose of coffee enemas actually is not to clear the bowels as regular enemas, but it's actually to deliver glutathione, which is an antioxidant that helps heal the liver and help it to detox to the liver. So technically, it's not actually considered an enema in the classical sense. But a side benefit is, of course, if you run um, chronically constipated, it can help move things along. But um, it's just something that I have found to be extremely helpful and that it helps 
um, keep things moving along. But also I feel more energetic, more clear headed after it. And all the tools you need basically um, are an enema, a catheter and um, coffee and distilled water. And you essentially just brew the coffee. You put it in your little enema bucket or else a bag. And then um, you use the catheter and you insert it into your rectum and it delivers um, the coffee to like through your um, to your colon and it um, helps uh, it gets absorbed by your liver and then um, you reap all the benefits that are from the coffee. So can you explain to folks why, uh, at least in your understanding, why the liver is uh, an important detox organ and why it is under stress when you're going through the process of killing the microbes that are um, in your system from uh, Lyme disease? Your liver is one of your main detox pathways, and it is one of the organs that um, works a lot in detoxing the body from different toxins. It holds um, anything from um, free radicals to different um, heavy metals, and it could become heavily toxic when someone is uh, chronically ill. So it's a really important organ to focus on in that if your liver is not functioning properly, then you cannot heal properly. So you need to do everything you can to support your liver in the detox because your liver is one of the main organs that's going to be doing the detoxing for you. Detoxing meaning it's going to get rid of the killed off microbes that are that are coming into the liver, right? And that's that's the the and if you're not two things can happen, right? The liver can recycle um, recycle toxins into your system if it's not going to ultimately, um, you know, rid you of the system. So you have to make sure that your liver is healthy, but even more importantly, your system will become toxic and your immune system will not be able to work because you, because you become toxic and you're finding that a low cost vehicle for, for keeping your liver healthy and supporting your liver in this detox, um, is, is, uh, is, these enemas. Now the coffee, is it any coffee that you would use or is there a particular type of coffee that you, that you believe should be used for a uh, coffee enema? Yeah, it has to be um, a light or medium roast, mold-free, organic. And there are specific brands like S.A. Wilson is a very popular brand. Uh, also, there is um, Pure Life Enema that sells coffee. And these are specific for doing coffee enemas. Okay, so are you doing any movement now? Are you engaging in any movement? Because as we had argued before through uh, our interview with Dr. Burascano, if you don't move, you don't heal. So are you doing, are you moving and are you, are you engaging in movement that's more supportive than the, the extreme distance um, running movements you're engaging in prior to your diagnosis? Yes, I have so much more of a gentle approach to exercise now. I'm doing walks daily. I do um, light stretching, but my body is still in um, such a state of healing that I get very fatigued easily. So I do my best not to push too hard, but I do still get some movement in there, get some sunlight going outside, doing the walks seems to be working very well for me. Yeah. Okay, so talk to us about sunlight and why you're getting sunlight. What do you believe that does for you? It's so healing because uh, a lot of people, they stay in all day. They don't get any sunlight and you get vitamin D through sunlight. You can take 
um, supplements that have vitamin D, but it's not as good as getting it directly from the source. So it's been extremely helpful for, for me. It's given me a lot of energy. I feel good in the sun. I always joke that I'm like a lizard, just lay me out on a rock in the sun, some dry heat, and I'm good to go. So it's something that boosts my energy, boosts my mood, and gets some movement in. Okay. Now, are you doing doing anything to support yourself with your sleep? Do you have any recommendations for sleep? Because one of the things that, we, that we've learned in this podcast is most people when they're on their Lyme disease journey have trouble sleeping. Uh, and there are some low and uh, no cost tools available to folks for sleep. And uh, I was triggered to ask you that question because obviously, um, you know, you can reset your, your circadian rhythm by, by uh, you know, looking up into the sun in the morning. And then, of course, watching the sun come down at night. Are you doing any of those kinds of things to support your sleep and, um, and that important element of, of healing? Yes, I have a really long wind down routine at nighttime. So it's kind of a ceremony that I do. Uh, after dinner, I'll draw a bath and I'll light a candle. I'll um, put the Epsom salt and the baking soda in. Sometimes I'll drop some essential oils in. Anything to kind of like set the mood to wind down, relax. I'll put in a podcast or an audiobook or the sound frequencies, just something that uh, turns my brain into more of a relaxed mode from work mode. So I'll do that. After that, um, we'll touch on this later, but the clean skincare company my mom and I have, my July, um, we have different moisturizers. So I'll use one of our products on after the bath. And then I do a coffee enema. And that's kind of turned into like, a relaxing time for me. I have my little red light going in my bathroom. I have my little pillow, my blankets out and everything. So it's kind of just something that I have made into a cozy vibe and it tells my body, okay, it's time to wind down, get ready for bed. I try not to do too much in front of a computer and get the blue light. So anything that I can do to um, just put my body into a relaxed state. Okay, so I know Randy's really excited to talk to you more about your transformation and the work that you and your mom are doing to bring um, some really cool products and information uh, and services to the Lyme community. But before we get there, before Randy takes you there, let's focus on, um, on any other items that you would use or recommend that others use that are either low cost or no cost items that they could use on the healing journey. Well, Michaela, I do have to interject because I did come across um, your mom and your morning routine that you published on your website, which I loved um, because you have to be regimented in your healing process. And I loved how you outlined everything you do from the minute you wake up um, through that process. And one of them was the 5.50 a.m. oil pull. Um, so why don't you um, explain to the listeners what oil pulling is? Yeah, oil pulling is an ancient Ayurvedic um, healing modality. And it um, is when you put oil into your mouth and just swish it around. And it actually pulls toxins from your mouth because your mouth carries a lot of bacteria. It could be any type of oil, commonly um, sesame and coconut oil is used. And it's a good way just to clean your mouth because people don't realize how much bacteria their mouth holds. And if you're not regularly cleaning it and like just doing the regular, just brushing your teeth, like that's pretty much not enough. Um, I do oil pulling every morning just to 
do a little, a little extra to get some toxins out because I'm sure that my mouth has more toxins than the average person's mouth. And the toxins in the mouth go to the brain. So oh, yeah, pulling sure. is essential. So yeah. do you, do you, let me just ask you do, you, do you do the oil pull before or after you brush your teeth? I tend to do it after. Um, and I do, um, you try to hold it in your mouth as long as possible. Um, and then you do spit it into a garbage pail because if you spit it into your pipes, it'll clog your drains and pipes. So how long is as long as possible? Is that a minute? Is it five minutes? Is it a half hour? I mean, how long are you keeping I mean, this oil in your mouth? 20 minutes would be ideal, um, but most people can't, you know, substantiate that. So any, any length of time is valuable. So that's, that's part of your morning routine or is that something that you're doing at night before you go to bed? That's part of my morning routine because overnight your mouth harbors so much bacteria that I um, brush my teeth, I do the oil pulling, and I gargle with warm water and salt. These are all just like very simple things, um, very low hanging fruit that pretty much anyone can do. Anyone who lives anywhere can get their hands on some sort of like coconut oil or um, some like sesame oil, like I mentioned. Um, sea salt, warm water, all very common. Let me ask you one more question before I, I let Randy finish up with the transformation. That is, what about diet? What are you doing with your diet? Um, what changes have you made and what recommendations do you have for either low or no cost changes uh, to uh, one's diet when they're on the healing journey? It's so important to be very strict with your diet. A lot of people try to out medicate and out supplement themselves with a poor diet. And it's the same principle as you can't out exercise a poor diet. So it's just one of these things that um, you have to be extremely regimented with you can't have anything that causes inflammation, you have to be very mindful about um, anything that could trigger some sort of negative response in your body. And everyone is so individualized and different. I can't really speak to what might trigger someone. Some people are very histamine um, sensitive. Some people aren't. But in general, you just want to limit um, your um, consumption of the top allergens, gluten, grains, dairy, soy. Um, and eggs are kind of, you know, a hot topic. Some people can tolerate them. Some people can't. So it's just very individualized, but you want to make sure that you limit your um, intake of any foods that cause uh, any sort of negative trigger or um, acidity. You want to alkalize your body as much as possible. Okay. Are there any other that you think of any other low or no cost options uh, for healing that you would recommend before uh, Randy now takes you to the uh, conversation about all the cool things you're doing with your Instagram and with your business and all the other cool contributions you're making to the community. I think I've touched on mostly everything. Um, walks are free. Um, the detox baths are very low cost. The oil pulling is low cost. Um, listening to sound frequencies or anything that gets you into a relaxed mindset, music, podcast, audiobook. Um, is free as long as you have a phone, which most people have. So um, that's pretty much it. If you can get yourself to acupuncture, I am fortunate enough that my insurance covers my acupuncture. So my acupuncture is um, very inexpensive. I know that not everyone has that privilege, but 
Um, if your insurance covers acupuncture, that could be a, another very low cost healing modality. So now once you download to us now, um, this transformation you've gone through, you've been through this, you've been through hell and back and you've had all kinds of really challenging things going on in your life, but there has been some beauty here, right? There have been some really um, cool things that you've learned about yourself and you've learned about uh, the community and talk about how you become a part of the community and the things that you are doing now that you know who you are better than you ever would had you not gone on this journey. So what I have found to be extremely beneficial to me before I was even diagnosed, as I mentioned, was just joining those support groups on Facebook and pretty much being diagnosed by the other members in the group that were saying, hey, your symptoms are very limey. You might want to get checked out for Lyme disease. They actually were more helpful than any of the doctors that I saw in all of my 10 years of looking for someone who could help me and help treat what I was dealing with. And it goes to what I believe as experience is the best prerequisite to teach others. And as I um, learn more in my healing journey, I still have a long way to go to remission. But as I'm several years in, I've learned a lot of tips, tricks, and different hacks um, that I've shared on this podcast that I have just learned by trial and error. And I am determined to give back to others too, because so many other people helped me that I want to pay it forward. And it's the least I can do to share what has helped me. And like, what benefit do I have by gatekeeping, like what I've been doing and what's helped and what's not. So um, that has been a way that I have become more engaged in the community. And I have found so many other people who are in the same position that I'm in. And it's, just such a very supportive, wonderful community to be a part of and realize that you're not alone. And there's so many other people out there that are dealing with the same issues as you. And Michaela, not only um, are you giving back as far as providing a skincare line to help people heal, you're also doing a number of other efforts to really directly impact the community. So why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners what you're doing um, to help the Lyme community? Yeah, I've always been an oversharer. Like I'm a very introverted person, but I guess I'm an extroverted introvert because I love sharing my story. Like nothing is off the table for me. So I use my Instagram platform as a way to spread awareness about, hey, like this is a real life picture at what chronic illnesses look like on a daily basis. Like I'm not doing well today. This is me really swollen and puffy face in the morning and or like this is me um taking a detox bath in the middle of the day because my body just feels so tired that I can't do anything else so I just had to like call it quits for the day and I try to be as real as possible to paint as accurate of a picture as possible because I feel like chronic illnesses are so misunderstood especially in the space of invisible illnesses when you don't even look sick because people can't even imagine what's going on inside if you don't look sick because people just um, take how what's presented in front of them at face value. And if you don't look sick, then you surely you can't be sick. So it's just a way that I um, spread awareness and I'm an advocate for um, just sharing knowledge and sharing a firsthand experience of what it's like living with chronic illnesses. And I can't tell you how many people 
have DM'd me after I've shared on social media or on Facebook um, and Instagram. Those are my two main platforms that they are dealing with mystery symptoms that they haven't been diagnosed with or their mother has Lyme disease or their sister is dealing with different issues. And there's like, just like so many people who have reached out to me that I didn't realize, hey, wow, so many people are dealing with issues like this. Or if they themselves are not dealing with issues, like they know of other people who are dealing with issues. And it just made me realize, wow, how important it is to start the conversation. Because if I hadn't started the conversation, everyone would just be like keeping everything to themselves and not sharing. So I think it just takes one person to start the movement, to start sharing and normalizing these conversations. And you've even taken it further. I mean, you currently serve as a mentor in the Global Lyme Alliance um, peer-to-peer program. You're also giving back 3% of, of um, sales to Global Lyme Alliance to help them conquer Lyme and other tick-borne diseases. So um, I just commend you for your efforts to really um, pay it forward. Um, thank and help you. This yeah, thank you so much. It truly is the least I can do. I feel like in this community, it, you really have to give back and it just builds up the energy and the vibration and going back to like mindfulness, it makes me feel good. And if I feel good and if I'm in a good mindset that I'm giving back, that just propels me forward more in my healing. So I think it just goes full circle. So Michaela, now we're going to ask you the very final question of your experience on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And you've been absolutely wonderful. And I really like this, this description of yourself as the extroverted introvert. Uh, so, uh, Randy, why don't you ask, um, Michaela, the final question? Well, what I found so outstanding is all along since you were a young child, you knew that something was wrong with you, right? And children with Lyme, they feel confused, they're betrayed, they're lost um, by people they trust, parents, teachers who fail to recognize that they're sick and need help. Um, you had, as a child, high intuition, but your voice was quieted as to what you were feeling actually in your body and neurologically. So how has this experience changed that voice of you of yours since you were finally diagnosed? How is it amplified? And what would you tell parents to look for in their children? I am so much more communicative than I was before. I grew up in a household that it wasn't like we were super strict, like there's no showing emotions allowed or anything, but it was still kind of like on the like, um, not, you don't really like cry in front of other, it was just something that was a little bit more like, oh, that's something that's like you keep to yourself. It's not like you share with others, um, all of your emotions, but now I have realized how backwards and counterproductive that thinking is. And while you don't want to be a chronic oversharer, it's still important to communicate your emotions. Don't hold it in. And uh, I would definitely, if I could go back in time, um, communicate to my parents how I was feeling because I've realized if you don't communicate how you're feeling, no one can help you. So if you need help, you need to be able to vocalize what you're feeling or else it's not that the other person, like they're not mind readers. So you have to be the one who um, is proactive in seeking help. 
Well, awesome. Randy Goodman, I can't thank you enough for being my co-host on this podcast. And Michaela, you were a, an absolutely wonderful guest. And I, I know uh, thousands of people are going to benefit from uh, from you being the sharing introvert. So thank you so much for spending uh, a couple of hours with us and, and, and sharing your very vulnerable story with the community here at Tick Bootcamp. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest host, Michaela Hu. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Michaela, please check out her Instagram, My July Skin. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.